0: Hey, everyone, you're listening to the 10.7 podcast where we get together every fortnight and sometimes more often to talk about technology, business, and the humans in it. I'm your host, Ivan Stegich. In this episode of the podcast, Lynn Winter, someone who has done many seemingly different things since the turn of the millennium, everything from leading projects to content strategy to participating in the video production of the Super Bowl in Minneapolis this year, to starting a conference called Manage Digital for People Who Manage and Lead Digital Projects. Wow. Lynn, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I think you forgot my strawberry picking times.
0: Oh, I I had no idea.
1: I Tell me about critical part of my career.
0: <laughs> Where did you pick strawberries?
1: Um, at Lawrence's Berry Farm, out just outside of Norfield. It was my first kind of official job after babysitting didn't work out so well. But essentially, you get up at the crack of dawn and, and go sit on your hands and knees in the field for you know, like six hours
0: a day. And why did the babysitting job not work out?
1: Well, I just don't think I was that great. But there was an incident with um, twins that were one years old. And we uh, met the parent at a garage sale once. And my mom's like, oh, yeah, she can babysit. And I think I was a little too young. And they were really like large children like 30 (laughs) pound one-year-olds and and so we went out in the yard and it wasn't fenced in out in the country and one twin ran to the right and one twin ran to the left and that was it I was pretty much done doing that I didn't really enjoy that
0: Well, you know, it's very iterative. It's like agile. You fail fast. (laughs) It was a fast. I mean, I had other
1: babysitting jobs too, but I realized that really wasn't enjoyable for me.
0: (laughs) None of them involved kids being stung by bees or hornets, did they? No,
1: no, no, not at that time.
0: So you're a native Minnesotan.
1: I am. Yeah, I can betcha.
0: (laughs) Where did you, uh, where were you born?
1: I was born in Norfield, Minnesota, which is just about, you know. 40 minutes south of the twin cities
0: you know i've never understood that why is northfield south of of minneapolis well it's north of
1: something right right. it's also named after a guy named northfield or north or i should know this because we had to learn about this in middle school but it was it's i think it's like john northfield something i I feel like a quick google is in order but I'll, i'll save that for later
0: okay so you grew up in Northfield and uh, you went to school probably somewhere in Northfield. I know you went to Hamlin.
1: I did. Yes. I went to um, all the schools, you know, the high school and whatnot. And then uh, when it came time to pick college, I could either go with 50 of my classmates and stay at Carlton or St. Olaf or uh, head out of town and try to separate from my parents. And <laughs> I clearly didn't go far enough because I still saw them about every single week at Hamlin. Um, but I tried. I tried to to get a little distance.
0: And what did you end up studying at Hamlin?
1: I have kind of a weird background in that. I got a major in communications, a minor in television production, and another major in chemistry.
0: Wow. I didn't realize your um, other major was chemistry. I actually thought that was a minor, but uh, why chemistry? I I took all six...
1: 18 classes for that. Um, I started taking at a liberal arts college, you know, you have to take a lot of the basic requirements to, to knock that out. So I took my chemistry and calculus right away to do that. And it was very, came very easy to me. Um, so I just kind of continued on. And, you know, I kind of think that was like my parents major. And then I got a major for myself <laughs> and went into communications. <laughs> um, but I always had that fallback of chemistry that I never, ever used again.
0: I I actually studied chemistry um in college as well for one year and I kind of did it as a I had to fill my class schedule and chemistry was a class that kind of it was the class that filled the hole in my schedule that I kind of just had to that do. It fit perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, it fit perfectly. So I only did one year of it, but I had an absolute blast doing chemistry.
1: It's I think it's fun until the later years when I got more into production and editing and I found that a lot of fun, but as you get further on you just your research in a lab so I spent a summer at Hamlin doing research and a summer out in Montana doing research mm-hmm. and then I realized I was not the kind of person to sit in a you know cubicle lab playing with chemicals all day long not talking to hardly anyone it just wasn't really wasn't me.
0: It didn't work out but your communications background and other major um that allows you to talk to a whole bunch of people all the time. <laughs> it does. <laughs>
1: So if I was in <laughs> chemistry, I could never communicate, but now uh, I'm I'm good because I got that extra major.
0: Is that how you ended up at TPT because your minor was related to video production?
1: Uh, I think so. I got a, right out of college, I got two internships, one at the film board um, where I spent most of my time just making copies and answering the phone. And then I got um, an <laughs> internship at Twin Cities Public Television for the show called Almanac, which has been around for I don't know, thirty years. Maybe it's the Friday political show. So I did that, and while I was wait, there, thirty
0: years hasn't it been around for like a <laughs> hundred?
1: I don't think quite that long, but it's it's pretty uh, the the staple show around there, um, and I really liked that. And then um, they had a couple job openings, and I got one uh, as a production scheduler. So I became the crewer for all the different um, shows that they were doing. So i booked book um, people in the studio, book the videographers, the editors, and did all that scheduling for a couple months. And then when the woman came back from maternity leave, I got a job as a production manager. And so then I had a career there for about eight years.
0: What does a production manager actually do? Um, in television,
1: uh, you're in charge of, like, all the details of the project. So um, I did grant writing um, as far as, like, Timelines and budgets. I would manage budgets, um, manage funder relations on a lower level, you know, just reporting kind of stuff. I'd book the crews. Um, Some shows would be in the studio where. They would have a bunch of people shooting for a day or two. Some would be documentaries where they'd be shooting in New York or locally. Uh, so kind of depended on what they were. And then we also had things called websites back in those days um, <laughs> that were basically static HTML things that lived um, and never got touched again after the, the show aired. So just a lot of details, getting things delivered to PBS, and just tracking down stuff.
0: Project management, like uh, basically trying to keep all of the balls in the air that you're juggling, continuously juggling and making sure everything's getting done. Exactly. Did it ever allow, like, did the opportunity ever present itself to operate any of the cameras during your production, these production days?
1: Uh, Not at TPT because we are a union house. So everything, um, audio engineers, editing, camera people, lighting, that was all done by unions. And so specific people had to be booked through the union and in seniority fashion. So I never did that there. I did do some assistant directing, but that was a non-union role.
0: So your video uh, videography experience and your love of many different Minnesota sports and camera work, that's different. That, that didn't start at TPT.
1: No, it didn't. I, um, I actually got three new jobs right out of college all in the same week. Um, so I didn't learn anybody's name and it was super confusing, <laughs> but I got a job at a local cable station out on the West Metro that did high school sports. And then I got a job at the Minnesota Wild because they just started their franchise. And I got a job at TPT. And wow. kind of leading up to that, in the summer, right after I graduated, I worked for the St. Saint Paul Saints. So I got paid uh, 25 bucks to work an entire Saints game, usually out in center field, that could go for five to six hours. It was amazing.
0: Wow. So through the day, yeah, but, big money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you get to watch the game. That oh, wait, no. Is it true, though? Do you get it, to enjoy the game?
1: It is, though baseball is probably my least favorite sport to shoot. But um, it, it, I'm essentially getting paid to hang out and watch the game.
0: That's actually kind of cool. It actually sounds like my dream job. I wish I could take pictures of the twins, for example. That would be awesome.
1: It's not a bad job. Except for, It's nice to also have a hot dog in on one hand and a beer in the other. But <laughs> that's kind of frowned upon.
0: Okay, so you've done the St. Paul Saints, you did some high school work, and um, you've most recently worked at the Super Bowl. So talk me through how you get from St. Paul Saints to a Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, so lucky and knowing somebody, I got right when the Saints season ended as the Minnesota Wild franchise started out. So that clearly dates how old I am. So in 2000. The Minnesota Wild started their first season and um, somebody had called over to the crew at the Saints and said, we need someone that can work every single game. And I said, well, we can't because we're full time there, which then didn't last for about six months. And they gave my name. And so I got to start working every single home game and basically what they call the utility, which pulls the cable Well, in football, pulling the cable means you run up and down the entire field and wrap cable and help someone. In hockey, it means you just stand there and watch the game because there's only two moments you actually walk on the ice for about 10 steps and then come back. So it was this great, great opportunity, but it was also horrifying. I've never really watched hockey. I've always been a basketball person. And the first game in hockey, you know, so many years ago was very different than it is now. And the first game, the refs moved the, the net aside so that these guys could just beat the crap out of each other and bleed
0: everywhere. It was just horrifying. <laughs> that sounds awful.
1: It is, but it's, it's very different now. It's, uh, people care more about their heads and, and being safe and, and stuff. So Go figure. So really it's gotten better. But you had asked me how I kind of made that transition. So I started working there, and then I started working at the old Metrodome Stadium doing gopher sports and football doing vikings i worked uh, twins there and so i kind of started adding different sports and adding um uh, the gophers uh, so when the super bowl came into town uh, all the folks that were working the vikings games which i do were kind of asked do you want to work for the game because um, they needed i think we had about 20 different cameras for just the in-house production so the only people that saw our our work were the people at the stadium and then on top of it there's hundreds of cameras that go out for broadcasts or national and all these other kind of things so um, i got the pleasure of being you know shooting up high on top of the scoreboard and shooting the entire super bowl and and watching the halftime show so it was pretty fun
0: you said hundreds of cameras that sounds amazing
1: it's it's kind of amazing and kind of ridiculous all at the same time to think of how much money goes into a production like that. There's also we rehearsed for about a week. Um, as well as the people that do the halftime show is a whole different group of people. And they did that, you know, night and day for weeks. So the amount of money that goes into such an event is astonishing. So kind of exciting and kind of sad when you could think about what we could do with all that money for good, but
0: what do you think your most exciting moment has been behind a camera lens?
1: Um, I would definitely say um, the recent Vikings game this year when we were in the playoffs. And um, I'm going to totally forget who caught the ball, but it was called Minneapolis Miracle. <laughs> and <laughs> in the last, you know, for the last 15 minutes, it, we were just getting sad and being really sad on headset because. We knew we were going to do what we always do and blow it. The, the Vikings were going to lose it again, and it was really interesting because um, next to me I had um, the video people for each team, so they're kind of bantering back and forth and making bets on the game, and so the whole thing was going. The Vikings were kind of losing it, and then the last throw comes in the last seconds, and the first thing I noticed is on the headset I have. In one year I have the radio call, and the other year I have my director, and the radio people start screaming. And then my director starts screaming and he's calling a different camera every like half a second, just shooting everything. And the whole crowd is just elated. And it was just it had to be the most electrifying kind of moment in a sports event that I've ever been to. So I think that's kind of going to be my peak,
0: <laughs> which is sad. I've got a lot of years to go. But well, I was going to say now you can retire from camera operating. That's right? it, yeah.
1: So I did do the final four when it was here last and my favorite basketball team of all time won it. And I was on the court, um, oh. mostly doing nothing because I was the third utility behind a camera. So my job was just to make sure he could walk through a crowd. Um, so I got to watch my favorite team, my favorite coach win the national championship. So that was pretty cool too.
0: Well, you have to tell us who your favorite team is.
1: Uh, Duke blue devils, which I'm sure a lot of people don't like them. But <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching them since I was a little kid, so.
0: So that's your team. And you recently shot the X Games. I, will... I did, yep,
1: for the second year around for ESPN.
0: And do you think that you'll be uh, available and interested in the Final Four? Because I believe they're coming here too.
1: I hope so. I absolutely hope so. I, um, those are kind of, those big events are, are fun and painful and, and fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> are you afraid of heights?
1: Uh, no, I mean, unless I'm jumping out of a plane, but no.
0: <laughs> okay, so there's no problem with actually lugging all your gear up to the top of the scoreboard and setting that up. And
1: You know, um, once they set it up like two years ago, they have never moved it again. Because uh, there's no way it's uh, the where that position camera is on the end zone. It's on top of uh, the catwalk. So there's really no safe way to put it up. So I walk up a very steep like industrial ladder to get there. And then I can look through the ground and see like four levels below me. So they had to use a crane to get the entire system up there because of oh, the weight of it. And okay. it stayed there for two years and never moved. Okay.
0: And do you wear a harness when you're up there? Sure. <laughs> you should wear a harness, <laughs> I totally do. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad to hear it.
1: Let's go on. No. <laughs>
0: So this whole uh, video production skill you have that you learned, that you implemented for seven years, somehow transferred over to managing websites and projects that um, you, you're you building user-centric websites for. And I know that um, Gorton Studios did some work with TPT in the early days, and they did some work for TT Book. We talked to Matthew Tift about that. Um, is that how you were introduced to Gordon Studios through TPT, or how did you make that transition over?
1: Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, the uh, owner of Gordon Studios, Drew Gordon, uh, used to be my contractor um, and contracted work through uh, TPT. So he had worked with me on um, educational stuff, um, department stuff, in a couple different areas, uh, national productions as well, doing building some websites. And so he had worked with me that way. I also had one of my old coworkers, Erica Stenrick, who then also moved to Gordon Studios. We worked closely on several national production projects. She was a, a producer there, and so when a job came up at Gordon Studios, she said, "Hey, we need a project manager. We've never had one. Do you do you want to do this?" And so I thought about it long and hard, and uh, and made the jump into digital since you know TV has grown a lot and, but is also a little bit stagnant as well.
0: And that was, when was that? That was in 2008. 2008. And so you basically found Drupal through Drew and through the websites that they were building.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I took on a role that they hadn't um, done before, which is actually a great story because um, two people sat down and wrote down all the things they hate about their job And then they put it into one job description. (laughs) That was my job. Yep. No joke. No joke. It turned out it matched up really well with things I was good and interested at. But at the same time, it kind of like established this interesting vibe of like, you're doing the stuff we hate over
0: there. Um, And that makes us happy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, it it was hard because you go into an agency that never has that role and try to find a spot. And that's always been kind of my, Struggle in the beginning of getting into the Drupal community of finding my people and, and spot in the community. I always kind of think of it like in the television production world. Um, project managers have been around forever. Uh, people know exactly how to find you. You know they respect the role. They know how to hide from you for certain things. <laughs> but it, it was really established. It's been around for so long. And with the web world, since it's so new, you know it doesn't feel like it, but it is. It's so infant in where it's going. Um, The project manager role is just that, and you have a lot of people in that role that are doing good things and a lot of people doing bad things because there's no formality around it. So I had a lot of struggle around trying to find my people and my role in the community for several years.
0: And when you first started, it was doing all of these things that these other people hate. Yes. Some of which you may have loved or liked. How did that um, role evolve? And how long did it take before you were really owning it and doing what you wanted to be kind of pushing?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly the length. I'm sure it was at least a year. Um, part of the challenge in the beginning is I um, went and had a baby, So I started the job like pregnant my first trimester, which I'd never recommend starting a job when you're (laughs) um, exhausted and and trying to figure that out. But um, I I think it was a while to kind of figure out like, you know, what are things that make sense? Like, should I answer maintenance calls and deal with that even though I have no contact? Should I just work on full projects and then solving problems along the way? So I really started being kind of, like, nosy and butting my head into different areas and, like, testing out, like, I know, it's it's hard to believe for me. But kind of figuring out, like, how, if I get in there, am I helping just myself or am I helping the team? Um, So should I do that or should I shift over here? And then kind of testing and trying new things with clients. Like, here's this client problem. How do I solve it? Let's try this thing. Like, all these concerns about financials. How do I solve that problem. Okay, now there's all these concerns around content. So I kind of took, you know, time to kind of figure that out. And then that's really what changed my role over the years.
0: You're very passionate about content and about user experience. I mean, in the years that we've worked with you and collaborated with you, that's been, been very clear. When we first met, I thought, oh, Lynn's a project manager. But as soon as you start working together, you realize, oh, Yeah, she can definitely manage people and projects, but this whole content and user experience thing, this is what she's passionate about, at least from my perspective. Mm -hmm. When did that change?
1: I think, you know, after a couple of years and I was solving the project management problems, like, you know, um, finances, like how often do you communicate, where do you communicate, all those things. And that became like, yep, I got this. I, those aren't those problems anymore. The next problems came into con- clients aren't writing content ever, or really stepping into sales of like, we're, we've got this trying to figure out what you need in sales. So you have better estimates and figuring out their needs. And so. That changed what I started doing and what happens at a really small agency in a really great environment like Gordon Studios was a wonderful place with like talented people that allowed you to grow and and push you. So if there was something that nobody was doing because there was only, you know, five of us or six of us or seven of us, depending on what year it was. You know, go and do it. Nobody cared. Like you can go try that thing. So nobody was doing content strategy. Um, A couple of us were interested in you know user testing, and a client had those needs. So let's go do that over there. And, And at the same time, then we're solving project problems, right? So I just started growing. had the ability to grow different skills that were outside of the project management that I could fit into my day um, with something I was interested in and then solving problems because I didn't want to just be like, I'm the person you talk to when you want to know the budget or you have to track details because I think that makes that role really ineffective. Like you don't want to just do be the person you just figure out the details with. You want the project manager to either like have a strength in technical aspect has a strength in content, a strength in some area to make them integral into the whole conversation.
0: Yeah.
1: And I have, but yeah. so I just put my opinions out there and it didn't stop. <laughs> I, can't, I couldn't zip it closed. I couldn't duct tape. It just kept coming out.
0: Yes, you do have opinions. I do like that. <laughs> <aren't> you.
1: That's <laughs> good. something's bad. Never bad. <laughs> opinions are never bad. You shouldn't my husband then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you became quite interested in, and really excelled at content strategy, in my opinion, focusing on the user experience. It, it is interesting that a small agency as as Gorton and as 10.7, I would consider us very comparable, it does allow you to flex what your skill set is and go down those rabbit holes of oh, I might be interested in that, and no one's doing it. Let's see if I can do that. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. So it seems to me like it was, as all things um, I've noticed lately, serendipity and luck and good timing. And that's sometimes how these career paths work out. So you're not at Gorton anymore. I'm not. You are on your own. You mm-hmm. are um, still passionate about the user experience and content strategy. You started this thing called Manage Digital. Why, why another conference? <laughs> That's what we need in this world. More conferences. More, more conferences. I, I, don't mean that in a, I don't mean that in a bad way. I, what I mean is, I mean, there's obviously a reason you started this. People have gone to it. You've had one, one successful event. What do you think about the conference is uh, the thing that you're like, what's the hole you're filling?
1: Yeah. So when I would go to Drupal conferences, um, I love it. I love the Drupal community. Um, I love getting to know people, learning, connecting. Um, but for years, there was nothing for a so-called project manager or even content strategy at a Drupal conference. I mean, I think it was not until, let's see, what it, whatever, what, what was before Baltimore?
0: The Drupal Conference. Yeah, let's see, Nashville, Baltimore. Was it New Orleans? New Orleans, I think, was the first year they started a project manager track,
1: and so that was kind of the, the best way to start connecting with more people and just seeing that need out there. And like people are are looking to have these conversations to build these mentorships, um, and it's really hard to. Not, find that anywhere um i have gone to the national dpm summit which is a wonderful event i know the people that put it on as well as i've attended a couple years and i think it's a great event to go to um but because it's national it's expensive right it costs a lot of money to for the fee it costs a lot of money to travel Um, and you're also building a national or international network You're not necessarily building a community locally. So just kind of feeling that sense of I've always been trying to find more people around here because there isn't formal training, right? There's like, you know, you can learn about Agile or get your PMP, but your PMP is not digital PMP. It's everybody PMP. It's road construction PMP. It's all these things. (laughs) And by the way, you need to spend a bunch of money and they're going to give you this big heavy duty process, which I'm not a big proponent for. And then that's your structure. That's how you learn. And what a good project manager is the stuff in between. It. It's not these processes you implement or these documents. It's it's the flow in between. And so I really wanted to help support that community and bring them together. And then when I went freelance um, last summer, I thought, well, gosh, I have no excuse anymore. been thinking about this conference, we have a really strong community in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. We have. Uh, like 800 people signed up for the local meetup obviously 800 don't show up, but we have a good showing 50 to hundred people every time. So there is a need for people and more than half are new every time. So I thought, let's just try it. Let's put some money on the table. You know, ask my husband how much money can we lose <laughs> to try this and say, okay, I want to put together a one day event. And the goal, the first goal is to network find people that you can find as a mentor or find people that you can confide in just to complain or get things off your chest or just say, hey, um, I've got to do this thing now because it's outside the PM role, but I have to do it. Like, how did you do this? I get those questions all the time. Like, how do you make this type of weird scope document that I've never made before? Can you share something with me? And so, I put together this company called Manage Digital. We had a one-day event. We had 140 people, which I'm pretty stoked about. Wow. And we had three national keynotes. Um, Two of them were written books. Thank God for connections, right?
0: Yes, absolutely. (laughs)
1: Breakout sessions um, and gave people time to kind of meet each other. And I kind of gave people, as a good PM would, like tasks for the day. People were required to meet one person. At the end of the day, they had to reach out to them within a week and then write down some things that they took away and and to implement. Um, So I tried to uh, uh, run it that way. But um, I was really blessed along the way to have a lot of people that I've known over the years kind of help out, help with the design and the website. And and I wouldn't have been able to do it without them because everything was free. Everybody volunteered um, to make it happen.
0: The conference was free to attend?
1: No, the conference wasn't free, but it was really low cost. So it was like 125 bucks. Um, but, you know, turns out when you put on a conference, food is expensive. Yes, it is. it's yes. <laughs> <laughs> really expensive. Yes, it is. So, you know, we have a little money in the bank for next year, but um, but basically everybody that helped put it on, uh, did it out of the kindness of their heart.
0: Ed, what about next year? Do you have any details to share about 2019?
1: So the first thing is people had asked me, well, we're going to do this again. We're going to do it, right? We're going to, I'm like, well, let me just have a moment to break. <laughs> let me think about this. Um, but I do want to do another one next year. Um, I, we haven't it probably, we did it in May this last year. So it would probably be around the same time frame, you know, right after DrupalCon, right before people break for summer. Um, but what I want to do is more networking um, time during the event. I think we did a little too much of like present to people. And I think the key is, is that there's so many people in the room that have really interesting things. And so I want to get more people involved and build more relationships on certain topics. So I'm not sure exactly how those um, spots would be uh, um, figured out, but um, kind of got a couple of
0: ideas in my head. Are you looking for sponsors?
1: Uh, um, are you offering? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, I would love to
0: have 10-7 nice. so be a part of it. that. <laughs> Absolutely serious. I think 10-7 would love to be a part of uh, the managed digital conference.
1: That's great. This is a, it's a great community to grow, and it only helps the agencies find new people and and grow our community here. So I think that's wonderful. Thank you.
0: Well, you heard it here first. Yes, <laughs> I'm putting it up on the Google or on the. The social channels immediately. (laughs) Do it. Yeah, that's absolutely cool. I can absolutely do that. You talked a little bit earlier about um, the fact that you're really not into the heavy-duty process, how you're into the flow in between and not big documents. And one of the things that I really appreciate about your approach is exactly that. Your flexibility, your attention to our clients' needs and not doing things for the sake of doing things, being able to change your approach based on what the client's needs are. How did you, why, why, are, you, why are you like that? Why do you do that? <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm like that in all things in life. And I wouldn't say I started that way. I definitely, when I started um, doing project management, when I moved over to digital, I really tried to make a process. And I tried to be like, okay, here's what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And, and this is when it's all going to happen. And so that was great. And then I, you know, I, I swayed a lot of times like, uh, but these are the exact steps so I could figure them out and process them. But then I had these schedules that and processes that didn't work for the clients or that really pushed my developers and designers to go too fast. And then I was like, oh, I don't want them to be mad at me. I'll make it longer. And then, you know, we were not being efficient and saving money. And so I probably spent a good year or two with this whole Richard panic philosophy, like, tell me what I need to know. I'm going to go execute my list. I can check off my boxes. And then there, I've I've got the whole world wrapped up in a pretty box and it will solve it. Um, Until you realize it's not at all how it works. And you also have a a wonderful person working side by side with you in every meeting that's super airy-fairy and light because she's a wonderful designer and she's flexible and can roll with things. And over time, I kind of realized when the moments were right to be flexible and when those moments were right not to be. And so I would really say working with her for so many years um, helped change my personality. Probably not at home, but like in that space. And just realize that a process is simply a framework and that you have to have structure in order to get feedback and responses and move things forward. But you also have to be flexible in order to get the best product and do the right thing for our users, the right thing for the client, and the right thing for your team. And so I've just kind of learned with a lot of trial and error of how to be able to roll with it and being comfortable. So I don't think it's something when someone starts as a project manager, I don't think you can be there in the first year or two. You really have to have your structure. Um, But then you realize after a while, it's all just about relationships. The entire job is about relationships with all people internal and external and managing that. I also, um, after Gordon Studios, I spent a couple years at another company where I managed the team, and I brought my ideas of process to that team. And what I learned is that process, while wonderful somewhere else, didn't work with that team. And that was also really eye-opening for me of realizing, you know, while there's fundamentals you can take everywhere with you in beliefs and principles, it really changes depending who's sitting at the table. And if you can't roll with it, you're trying to force something and then you're the PM on the outside trying to get things done. And I want to always be the PM on the inside, collaborating with people.
0: It's a good lesson and reminder to all of us who are working in software um, and, and in any other industry that really it's about the relationships and the interactions between people And one of the side effects is the product that we produce. You can have the best tools and the greatest processes, and everybody can be doing things according to the playbook. But ultimately, it's about humans, our interactions, and making sure that we have empathy, that everybody has something that they're dealing with and some perspective that they're coming from. And really, we're we're just trying to get through those things every day.
1: Absolutely. But I didn't say empathy, to be fair. (laughs) No. <laughs> I'm, <just kidding. laughs> I'm supposed to be hard and cold. I'm hundred percent German. There's no, empathy no,
0: involved. <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. You're just kidding. Um, so, we've, <laughs> so we've, we've covered a, a, a ton of history and process and how you've evolved and all of that. I, I want to ask you, what's your favorite thing right now?
1: Right now um, my favorite thing is my ability to learn and grow. so um, in my last position I didn't I did a lot of teaching and, and figuring things out but right now as a freelancer, I'm working with lots of different agencies and lots of different clients and I'm learning so much every single project uh, because I have to work within new tools and processes and with people. Um, I'm, I feel like there's a stagnant time for a couple years and now i just feel like rapid information coming in oh i'm going to try this and i'm going to do this and what about that over there and so i'm just having a blast kind of just i feel like this evolution in my content strategy work right now is just growing so much and i'm getting to do content strategy about 75 percent of my time and i always it was always a piece for several years but not my focus and so that's been nice
0: We've enjoyed working with you so much and are looking forward to the new projects that are on the horizon to keep doing that. So I'm glad to hear that you're enjoying that part of your job. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending your, your precious time with me.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: So you're Lynn Winter MN on Twitter. I the am managed digital conference is at managed And your personal website is LynnWinterMN.com. That'll all be on the transcript on the website, so feel free to link to that um, or use those links when you visit the site. You've been listening to the 10.7 podcast. Find us online at 10.7.com slash podcast. And if you have a second, do send us a message. We love hearing from you. Our email address is podcast at 10.7.com. Until next time, this is Ivan Stegich. Thank you for listening.